right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody who's here. Good morning, everybody who's in uh, hanging out at your own space or whatever. Oh, there's the cameras. They moved locations on me. Uh, hey, whoever's uh, checking us out virtually, glad you're here, whether that's today and live or later on this week. Thanks for being here. I want to talk real quick about next week and this week and that rascal Brandon Ventling, <clears throat> Thunder Stealer. Whatever. Uh, hey, let me tell you a little bit about next week, okay? We, I sent a video out piece out this week. Um, but something we've done, if you're newer to Calvary, you may not know this. If you've been around, you do know this. Something we've done uh, in the past before COVID is we had something called equipping classes where we get adults into a room and we talk about all sorts of different biblical things, right? We, we rotate the topic. Sometimes we have three classes going. Sometimes we have two classes going. Um, so we are going to restart those and launch that environment next week. And we're really excited about it. It's going to be at a different time. It's going to be after this service. It's going to be for a delicious lunch. I don't know if it's going to be delicious, but it will be free for you. So that's not bad. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of spend three weeks together and a little bit longer classes, but just as a community having lunch together and we're going to come at it from this angle, right? We, we want these classes to help us as Christians grow as disciples. And so we're going to think about as disciples of Jesus, how does Jesus want us to live in our culture, right? We're all people in the kingdom of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. But we also live in our present, you know, country or from another country. And we're people who are God citizens, citizens of other countries. And the question is this, what does God want us to do? How do we live? And when we confront issues, when issues rise up, how do individually we as Christians respond to them? What does the Bible say? And how do we together as a community respond to issues that we face as disciples of Jesus? And so, like I said in the video piece, one big issue that we faced, <clears throat> a discipleship issue that we faced this past year, um, we've always faced it, but this past year it, it came to the forefront at different times, is this issue of racism, right? Issue of prejudice. And the question is, as disciples of Jesus, as people who are in the kingdom of God, who encounter things in our culture, what does the Bible say theologically? about issues of prejudice, about issues of race. What does it call Christians to do, right? What does it call us together as a church to do? What does it not necessarily call us to do? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to spend three weeks together about this. Um, and I think we've hit it at different times in the past as we've gone through this past year together. But we, it, the opportunity to talk about it's a little limited because it's always come at you. Right? You've always either heard me say something or we've gotten something out. It's been a one-way communication. And so I really think it's going to be great as a church family with all of us with different stories from different places, with different views into this, coming together to talk and to share and to ground ourselves in God's word as we think about these issues. Now, this is a hand grenade. Let's just own it, right? No need to lie. This is a hand grenade that in some churches is caused shrapnel to go everywhere, this topic. And it has not caused shrapnel to go anywhere yet at Calvary, and it's not going to. Um, because we are a united community, and we have a chance for three weeks to listen to each other and to get into the Word and say, we live for Jesus. What does Jesus want us to do individually and together? And what does the Bible say about these issues? And so I'm really excited about it. I'd encourage you to come. There's a way to RSVP. That's next week. And this week, though, like Brandon said, it is Mother's Day. And I sure appreciate uh, his affirmation of his own family, the first service, and then just again today. And so, man, if you're a mom on behalf of our staff and leadership, uh, you, you're doing a good work. 
and you're doing a work that's often not appreciated as well as it should be. And so we do want to affirm you and we want to thank you. And, and as soon as I say that, like Brianna mentioned, I've done this a lot. And so I know even though that when I mention that for many of you, this is a really challenging day. Um, it's really a challenging day when people are talking about moms a lot because maybe your mom passed away this past year and it brings back memories of who's not here. Maybe your mom passed away 10 years ago and this causes things to happen. Maybe you're a woman here today and your story of being a mom <clears throat> is not what you'd hoped it to be. That something's happened in your past, whether that's miscarriage, whether that's just sickness with a child, or, or, and, and, and so I know, and we know. It's one of these moments where we celebrate for some people and with other people, we want to be a comfort and we want to be an encouragement. Um, and no matter where you are in that spectrum today as a lady, we just want you to know that we're here for you, we care for you, we value you, and we thank you. And one of the ways, like Brandon said, we do want to do that is so if you're over 18 and you're a woman, man, grab you a cookie on the way out. And I want to say this too, if you're under 18 and you're a single mom, we want to value and we want to honor you as well. Or if you're a mom, it doesn't have to be a single mom, right? But if, if you're under 18 and you're a mom, man, grab you a cookie on the way out because uh, we want to honor and value you too as well. So 20 minutes in the, 20, 20 minutes in the microwave, 20 seconds in the microwave, take them out of the wrapper, those things will change your life. If you put them in the microwave for 20 minutes, send us a YouTube video or a clip of it or TikTok, okay? Let's see how that works out. But we're not here to talk about necessarily cookies all day long, although I could, but we're here because God has something for all of us this morning as we continue into the word. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to get into it. Uh, Father, I'm grateful for the chance once again to come to your word. I'm grateful that you have something for us. I'm grateful for the gift of moms. And I pray that uh, your special blessing will be upon those mothers in this room today, Father, who are faithfully stewarding the gift of their family and the gift of their children that you've given to them. I pray a, a, a special comfort on the women this morning who, for whatever reason, this is a very challenging day. And I pray that your peace that passes understanding will surround them and will be very real to them and very present to them and that they will know that you are loving and kind and good and that they will feel that today. As we move into what you have for us, Father, I pray that, uh, that you will speak to us and you will be present and you will help us to know how this applies to us today uh, as we walk as disciples and as followers of Jesus. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if it's your first time checking us out at Calvary, either in person or online, then you have no idea what we've been doing since January. But if you've been at Calvary, you know a little bit about what we've been doing since January. What we've been doing since January is we've been thinking about the Old Testament, right? The Bible is kind of split, not quite in half, but it's split. And you got the New Testament and you got the Old Testament. The New Testament is everything after Jesus. Jesus, everything after. The Old Testament, I know I'm doing it the wrong way. Old Testament is before Jesus. New Testament is Jesus and everything after, right? And so what we've realized is maybe you've been in church for a while and you, you've heard some Bible stories from the Old Testament about a random thing here and a random thing there, a random thing there, but, but you've never quite been clear about, but how do all those random stories and all those pieces fit together? Maybe you have never been in church. Maybe you're totally new to Christianity. You're trying to figure out, what does it believe? And you've opened up the Old Testament and you're like, whoa, there's some crazy stuff that goes on there. Like, what is this about? And so what we've been doing is we've been walking through 
some of the big stories of the Old Testament, and we've been trying to tie them together and say what larger story are they telling. We've been doing that from, since January, and here's where we've seen so far, right? We've kind of walked through some things, and there's been this big promise that we've been, this, this, this big promise has been something we've been building it out. And before the promise came, we saw that there's certain things that happen in the Old Testament. There's creation. <clears throat> God made everything. And then everything that God made that was good gets really, really bad really, really quickly in the fall. And then there's Noah. And overall, at this point in the box, life before the promise of land, things are a mess. And so God comes as a loving, kind God to fix everything, to make it right. And he does that through a promise. And if you want to know what the Old Testament is about and the framework of the Old Testament, all you have to remember is this little theological deal, the Abrahamic covenant, okay? The Abrahamic covenant. And so God gives a promise and all of these things we've covered and these have been people who've been living while they've been waiting on the promise of land. God said, I'm going to fix all this chaos from the fall and I'm going to do it, he said to Abraham, through three things. I'm making a promise of people. I'm making a promise of land. And I'm making a promise of blessing. And I'm going to use people in a certain land. And in that land and through them, I'm going to bless them. But then ultimately, I'm going to offer and extend blessing to all people. And the Old Testament then starts to build that out. And that's what we've talked about. The promise made to Abraham. He had a kid named Joseph, right? And, and this guy rose to power in Egypt after some ups and downs. We talked about how this, these people who were people of the promise were slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. Moses was this guy. Then there were these plagues, these signs. Kadesh Barnea, big kind of geographic place where the people are on the cusp of going into the land to enter the land, but they get scared and they don't want to trust God. And they get freaked out. And so then they start this process of wandering all around, right? Wandering in the desert, wandering in the desert. And then Moses dies. <clears throat> That's where Chris left, uh, left us last week. And then we're going to kind of see this third big box where, okay, this has been people, the stories of them living while they've been waiting for the promise of the land. And the next thing we're going to see is, okay, these stories of now they're in the land. And they're experiencing the promise of the land. And how do they live? What do they do? What happens? That's what the rest of the Old Testament is about. But, but we're not there yet because where we are today in our text, we're going to be in a book, Joshua 1, chapters 1 and chapters 3. And you know where we are? We're, we're, we're here in this kind of transition box because they're not here anymore. They're, they're moving out of here and they're moving into here and they're in this place of transition. They're in this place of change. They're in this place of it's not what it was and it's not yet what it will be. And we don't really know what's going on. And maybe that's <clears throat> significant to some of you this morning because maybe you're a mom today and, and kind of your story is a story. To some, there's, there's some transition that you're going through. There's something kind of shaking underneath you as a mom. Maybe that's a transition in parenting. That, that what worked in the past or what you've done in the past, there's something you need to adjust and you're trying to figure that out. Maybe there's a transition as a mom you're navigating with a kid in the lives of one of their kids as there's uncertainty for them or there's something that they're struggling with or they're processing with. And you look back and you think, man, when they were there, I knew what to do, but what do I do now, how do I navigate with them now? Maybe you're a mom in a transition because your family's in a transition. 
and there's been a job loss or a new job, there's been retirement, there's been grandkids, there's been moves or don't moves, and it just feels unsettled. And, and you as a mom today are here. Not what it was, don't know what it's going to be. Maybe that's your story, even if you're not a mom. Maybe there's just a transition in your career and your stage of life, what's going on. And the question is, when we're in these moments, what are the realities of those moments? What are some of the emotions? What are some of the thoughts of these moments of transition, these moments of change? Well, we're going to think about that as we think about what the Israelite people faced. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where Moses dies. We're going to pick up that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And here's what it says, right? The transition piece. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Moses is dead. God calls Joshua. God says to Joshua, okay, Joshua, you're the new leader, right? You're the guy that I've appointed. I'm now commissioning you. You step up. It's inauguration day. You're the guy. Here's a few little pieces of information about Joshua. We've not pulled, kind of studied him a lot in our, our series so far, but there's a lot of different earlier times he's been mentioned in the Old Testament. Here are some of the things we know about this new leader. Unlike the people that he's leading, Joshua, when he was born, he was born a slave. He was born into slavery in Egypt. He would have experienced all those miraculous things that God did to try to release the people from slavery. Joshua would have been one of the people who walked through the Red Sea. He would have remembered that. The people that he's leading, they weren't even born. But he went through that moment. When he came out of the other side of the Red Sea, there's this interesting deal um, in Exodus 17 where there's this little skirmish. And for whatever reason, Moses like looks around and he sees Joshua. And he's like, dude, Joshua, you're like Navy SEAL, dude. You're like warrior boy. Hey, can you do me a favor? <clears throat> can you lead some troops of men in this battle? And Joshua does that. And he does it successfully. He was then sent into the land to spy it out. He was two of the people who were like, man, we got to take this land. God's promised it to us. Let's go. Let's get at it. And the rest of the people rebelled and didn't want to. And towards the end of his life, Moses began to mentor Joshua, began to pass the baton. There became to be this <clears throat> secession plan. And, but here's the reality. Joshua was definitely a prepared leader, ready for this moment. But even though he was a prepared leader, there were still a lot of changing circumstances the people were facing. There was a lot of change as we go back to the chart and we see this middle blue box that these guys were going to be experiencing. You can flip to that chart. Here's what they were experiencing. They lost, right, in this place, change of losing a leader. The people in this box, they're no longer going to be wandering in the desert. They're just days away from not. For years, all they have known is waking up every day and just walking and wandering. And that's about to change, and they're about to be planted in this new area and relocate. And it's like, well, I don't know what that's going to be like. I'm used to being a nomad, right? What, what's it going to be like there? This current generation, right here in this box, some of the change those people have experienced is they've buried their parents. They've buried their parents. That Their parents are on this side of their story. There's something on that side, but they're the next generation, and the generation above them has died. 
and they attended their memorial services. It's a change for Joshua as he moves into this new leadership role. There's lots of change. There's lots of difference. There's lots of new, and in the midst of that for them, they, they may have felt out of control. And I don't know what's going on in your story, but maybe you're in a place where you feel like there's a lot of change. <clears throat> and along with that, you feel a little bit out of control. Now, with all those things that have changed, with all those things that are they're going to be new, that they don't know what to do, the shifting sand, there's two things that hasn't changed for them, haven't changed. The first thing that hasn't changed for these people is God's plan for them. God's plan for them is still exactly the same. It hasn't changed. We read that in verse 2 where it says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. His plan for them is still the land. That's been his plan for hundreds of years. His plan for them hasn't changed, and there's something else that hasn't changed in addition to his plan, his promises. His promises to them. With all the uncertainties, all the unknowns, all the change, all the new circumstances, his promises to them haven't changed. And there's two promises that he's made. The first promise is this. He's promised them that land. We've already read that. But then there's a second promise that he's made to them that hasn't changed. And you know what that is? That's his promise to be with them. His promise to be with them. He says this in verse 5 of chapter 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9, a little later down, he reaffirms this promise. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you no matter where you go. In this in-between moment, when they were facing all sorts of change and all sorts of transition and all sorts of unknowns, when their normal is being uprooted. My wife has a great line. She's, I'm sure she stole it from somebody, but normal is just a setting on the dryer. You ever heard that before? Normal is just a setting. on. I think for Mother's Day, I will cross-stitch that for her. <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Is anybody still cross-stitched anymore? I don't know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring it back. It's going to be hip, right? Uh, normal is just a setting on the dryer. For these people, there's no normal. Lots has changed, but God's plan for them hasn't. God's promises to them haven't. And here's the first principle for you and for I. It's this. Your circumstances will change. My circumstances will change. Our circumstances will change. But God's ultimate plan for you and promise to you will never change. God's ultimate plan for your life and the promises that God has made to you in your life will never change. But, but, but here's what's really interesting and really hard is, you know what? Sometimes the way that God works out his plan for us, the way that God, God works his plan for us and in us is through changed circumstances. He, he works out his plan through circumstances that change and through circumstances that seem so out of control. Have you ever seen a snow globe? 
I, I didn't have time to find one this morning, but snow globe, it's this little thing we see a lot of Christmas and this little globe. And in the middle of it is something, the Empire State Building or like, you know, a puppy or some beautiful Swiss Alp scene or I don't know, right? And then there's that little like fake snow stuff and you take the snow globe and what happens? You shake that thing up and as you shake it up, all of a sudden there's all this stuff that is just everywhere, right? I mean, you can't even see through the middle of things. All these things are just floating around up in the air, not settled, all swirling about. But you know what? In the middle of that all, there's one thing that's not moving. In the middle of all that, there's one thing that's fixed and that's anchored. And it sometimes takes a while for all of that other stuff just to settle. But one thing is never moved. And that's the way it is for you and for me, and you may be feeling that this morning. You may look at your life, you may look at your situation, and it may just be with so much swirling, so much unresolved, so much unsettled. But in the middle of all of that, in your story and in my story and in our story, there's one thing that is fixed and isn't moving, and that is God's promise and God's presence. God's promise and God's presence. And there's this great thing, right? Sometimes we got, you know, I know I'm a little bit of a theological nerd, but sometimes it's a little tricky because you go through the Old Testament and God makes promises and some of those promises extend to us, right? Other times those promises are only made to the Israelite people and they don't directly extend to us, but there's principles. But here's the great news about God's promise to be with us. And that is a promise that he has said again, once again, to you and to me, people after Jesus who are Christians. And he says this to them in Hebrews. He reaffirms what he's already said, right? Keep your life free from love money. For I've said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that is something that this morning, if you're a Christian, God has promised to you that when it's all swirling, when it's all you can't even see what's in the middle of it all, when it's all unsettled and up in the air, the thing that remains fixed and anchored and unchanging is that God has promised he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Well, it's now time for the people to, to kind of act upon what God's calling them to do. It's another opportunity to move into the land. And so we see that this happens, right? Now he's, they're getting into that final box, and we skip over to chapter 3. And it's time for them to act upon God's plan for them and act upon God's promises to them. And here's what it says. <clears throat> then Joshua rose early, verse 1, uh, going down to like 2 or so. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. And then the next verse has this little clause that says, at the end of three days, right? It may not be on the screen, but it says this. They lodged there before they passed over, and at the end of three days. So here's what we see happen. The Israelites, they're moving into the land. They come up to the Jordan River. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. And for three days, they hang out there. Now, we hear this, and some of us might think like, oh. That sounds so nice. It's like a camping trip, right? For three days, they're hanging out by this river. Maybe they're doing some fly fishing. 
Maybe, maybe Joshua is giving like a little fly fishing seminar and they're making flies with the indigenous, you know, east of the Jordan insects. And then they spend a few days fly fishing. And they have a little trout dinner. And they get a little primitive ukulele and they sing some campfire songs. Right? And some of us hear this and we're like, oh, okay, by a river, hanging out, that sounds good. But the problem is, that's not what's going on. Because later on in the story, in this weird moment, the narrator tells us kind of a little bit more about the Jordan. And in verse 15, he says this, in this, this, this comment, right? Talking about what's going to happen. We'll see as soon as those bearing the ark could come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the breeze bearing the ark were dipped in the brink. Now, here it is. Here's the parenthetical. Here's what he tells us. Now, the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Huge point to understand. This is not a tranquil little calm river running through twin brooks, right? This, 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 what he's telling us is, hey, this is flood season. This is rainy season, right? This is the season when it overflows. Here is the, what is going on in this river. We've talked about this a year or so ago, but some of you may not remember it. Some of you may, but here's the deal, right? Man, the river's flooded. It's flooded due to the rainy season and it's flooded because snow is melted and it's filled up the river, and this, this river basin, this floodplain, can be up to a mile long. Not all of that's river, but when it overflows, it can overflow to a mile long. That floodplain is packed with tangled brush, broken trees, really hard to navigate through. Then when you get to the river itself, man, it's about 90 to 100 feet wider than normal. It's 90 to 100 feet wider than normal, and not only that, but it's deeper than normal, and not only that, but it is running fast. It is... It's not calm, tranquil. It's like, bro, grab your paddle and your kayak and your helmet, and let's white water down this Nantahala deal. And in many parts, it would be four to six feet over the people's heads. So there is this body of water that in parts could be up to a mile wide. When you get to the heart of that, when you navigate through all this deal, man, you get to the heart of it. It's six feet in places over your head and it is churning. And it's next to that obstacle that they have to get across that God has brought them to. And they have no idea yet how they're going to get through it. And for three days, God has them stay right there. For three days, God hasn't shown up to tell them the plan. God hasn't shown up to do anything. God just has them sit and wait. And wait. And wait. And every time they get up and every time they go to bed and every time they move, what they hear is, <clears throat> maybe not quite that dramatic. But man, they're there by it. And God makes them sit there. What's really interesting, what struck me when I came across this, is you know what? In his sovereignty, God could have brought them to that river any time of the year. God could have brought them to that river when it wasn't flood season, when the water was calmer. But he's the one who chose this time of year to bring the people to there when it would be the most difficult and when it would be the most challenging. And he brings them to that spot and then he makes them wait. 
Here's the second reality about seasons of transition. Our walk with God often involves seasons of waiting with God. And sometimes, like the Israelites, we wait right up against a problem or situation that we have no idea how it's going to resolve. Have you ever experienced that? Just waiting. Waiting. Just waiting. And as I thought about my own experiences while waiting, and I thought about these people, and I thought about different moments, so many moments in the, the Bible where people wait, there's some few things that come out. I just want to kind of share um, a, a few things about waiting, right? In those moments of waiting, oftentimes, there's no text message from God about what to do. There's no letter from God about what's next. He's silent. Many times in those moments of waiting, what we see from Scripture, what we know from our own lives, is there seems to be this lack of clarity. People who wait in the Bible, many times in their moments of waiting, they feel alone. And they feel anxious. And many times people in the Bible who wait have nothing to rely upon in that moment except for God's provisions and God's promises. It's a time of uncertainty. The women who, in the church who've been part of our women's Bible study, you've been studying a guy named Elijah who had to wait. And you've studied this moment in Elijah's life after this success where he's freaked out and scared and he just waits and he has all this discouragement. He has this depression. And God keeps him there. Moses, we studied him. He had a season of waiting. The guy who just died. He was like Prince Harry in Egypt. He was cruising around with the Egyptian version of the Land Rover. And then he murdered a guy. And for 40 years then of his life, he spends 40 years in the desert, broken, unknown, no idea what's coming, just waiting. In the New Testament, after Jesus is murdered, You know what we see his followers doing? Huddled together in a room, scared, not knowing, and just waiting. What can we learn from that? What can we do with that? Well, here's just kind of four thoughts to pull out of that. The first is this. Know that there are going to be moments when God has you in seasons of waiting in the midst of a transition. And I just say that to tell you that that, that's not unexpected. And sometimes when you and I go into moments of waiting in a transition, right? We're like, wait, what am I doing wrong? Right? Maybe this isn't normal. Sometimes in life, God brings you before in a moment of transition, he just has you wait and know that if the experience of the people in the Bible translates over to our experience in that moment of waiting, You may have a lot of different emotions you're experiencing, a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different feelings. And the third thing to know is this, know that that season of waiting is part of God's sovereign will for your life. It's part of God's sovereign will for your life. And the fourth thing I would just say to you is this, in that season of waiting, when you don't know what's coming, when the snow globe is swirling, when everything seems up in the air, when the obstacle is right there, when you don't know the way through, when God hasn't told you, when you feel alone, when you feel uncertain, when you feel anxious, 
Be still. Be still. Try to be still, and when you're in your own soul, when it's so disrupted, you don't have the power to be still on your own. Pray and ask God to supernaturally give you stillness. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Now, in my moments of waiting, right, if you're anything like me, my daughter has a hamster named Humphrey. Humphrey is a cute little fellow. You know what Humphrey does about 1.42 every morning? Humphrey gets on his wheel and goes... That, was, that actually sounds like, I don't know if my raging water sounded like, right? Humphrey gets on that wheel and he's like, you know what I do in my seasons of waiting? I don't, I, I don't, it's hard for me to be still. I go, I, I'm like, I want to get out of this. What's next? I get on the spiritual wheel and I just churn and that's not what God wants. It's not what he wants for me. It's not what he wants for you. It's not what he wants for us. He wants us in that moment to be Still. And to know that you're not God, that he's God. Well, after the waiting is over, right, look what happens. Their story doesn't end with a waiting. There is another whole, uh, right, another whole season, another whole box. Here's what happens after they're waiting. And we'll kind of go through this quickly. Um, but, but here's what happens. God finally tells them what to do. Verse uh, 2 of chapter 3, it says this. At the end of the three days, after the period of waiting, the officers went to the camp and they commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, up, oh, not there. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Okay? So the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, here it is. We have a little picture of the Ark of the Covenant. This is not the actual Ark of the Covenant. I did not like night drop somewhere in Turkey where urban legends are that it is stored. I did not go to the warehouse in D.C. and steal it from Indiana Jones, okay? Now, this is obviously a replica of the Ark of the Covenant, but a little bit of trivia about the Ark of the Covenant, okay? A little bit of information for you. This could be handy for you. Do you know that Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian, has a Bible trivia show on Netflix? Did you know that? It's called like the Great Bible Challenge. I watched one episode. I don't know if I'll watch two episodes. The episode that I watched, some nuns won it. That sounded appropriate, right? I would hope they'd win it. So if you're ever on Bible Trivia with Jeff Foxworthy, this may come in handy to you. This Ark of the Covenant, the big thing about it was the symbol of God's presence. It was covered in gold. It was about three feet long by two feet by two feet, right? Covered in gold. These are angel-like creatures. They're called cherubim. And what you can read all about this in Exodus 25, if you want to read about the Ark. And here's the reality. Right here, in between in this area is where symbolically and in some way supernaturally the spiritual presence and the spiritual glory was symbolically and supernaturally supposed to dwell. This box wasn't just a box. This was something that was a symbol and a manifestation and the location and the presence of the glory of God. And, and what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to follow this. There's some more instructions are given he tells them in verse 4 yet there shall be a distance between you and it of about 200 cubits in length do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go for you have not passed the way before the reason he tells them not to come near it in this case is not so that they won't get killed it's so that they don't get so close to it that they can't see what's going on what they're supposed to do is stay a distance away and they're supposed to look down the road 
And they're supposed to keep the eyes on the ark. And where the ark goes and where God's presence goes and where he's leading them, you know what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to follow. And they got to put, them place in a, put themselves in a posture, in a place where, where they're not so jammed up with it all that they can't see it. They need to look. And they need to see. And they need to watch. They need to follow it step by step. God was leading them to what's next. God was showing them the way. And even though there was this huge obstacle in front of them, they had to just keep their eyes on God and make the next step and go where he wanted. Third principle is this. God leads us to seasons of waiting. But then you know what? He then leads us to what's next. He then leads us to what's next. And in that moment, it's our opportunity to follow, to follow, to walk. The process that God used to get them through it is a sermon in and of itself. I know that you guys want your cookies, ladies, and so I will not keep you here for a second sermon. I'm going to go through this quickly. We talked about this about a year and a half or so ago, but the process really is interesting. So here's how God says you're going to get through it. A couple of quick points about this, verse 13. This is what he says. So get the priest, verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. All right, little and, and anatomy lesson. Where are the soles of your feet? Where are the soles of your feet? I will stretch and not pull a hamstring. Ready? Here it is. Boom, right? This is what God's saying. God's not saying when you dip your toe in, It'll all get better. What God's saying is this, is when you step into the middle of it and your bottom of your feet rest in the river, then I'll show up and do some things. Then. Now, if the priests step into the river, see, they had to go all in. Only one way to get both feet into that river, you got to go all in. And if the priest went all in and God doesn't show up for them, they're, they're in a river six feet over their head, a mile long, that's raging. It's like it could be Yahtzee game over. See, but, but God says you go all in and then I'll show up. And I don't like that. You know what I like? I like this would have been a good plan for Peter. Hey. I want you to get across the river, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to part it, it is going to be dry, and then you walk into it and you'll be good. See, see, many times when God calls us to do something, we want a sign before we obey. And then when God gives us the sign, we're like, okay, great, I'm going to obey. That's easier for us, that's better for us. Does God sometimes do that? Sometimes he does do that, but God doesn't always do that. And what God sometimes does is invert the process we would like and say, nope. You're watching where I'm leading. You know where I want you to go. So you take that step and you go all in and then I'll show up to confirm and to prove that this is what I wanted you to do. They did it. And what happened? What happened is exactly what God said would happen. 
When they took that step of faith, the water stops. We read about it in verses 15 through 17, and the worship team can start coming up here, and it tells us this. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away. It continues and it says this. At Adam, the city that's beside Zarethath and those flowing down to the sea of the salt of the sea were completely cut off. The water stops. If we're in our Bible reading plan for the week, we could zip over this next sentence. This next sentence is a game changer. Here's what this next sentence says. And the people passed over opposite the Jericho. Right? The people passed over opposite the Jericho. They made it into the land. The very step that they took when they came out of that Jordan River was one step into the land that God had promised to them. And they were there. And they're now in a whole new chapter of their life. It's not the chapter of waiting to get there. It's the chapter of what do we do now that we're here? And that's what we're going to think about next week. Next week, what we're going to think about is this. Okay, what are are they supposed to do there? How are they supposed to live there? And how well do they do it? And we're going to think about that through the book of Judges. We're going to move into a new book of the Bible. But that's next week. But here's some homework that I'd love for you to do this week, right? First kind of piece of homework I'd love for you to do is, man, spend some time going back over Joshua chapter three. Grab a journal, read through it. You do not, I'm not saying it's bad to listen to the Bible. That's a great thing to do, okay? But look, this is 17 verses. You can read it, 17 verses. Grab a piece of paper and a pen or electronically, and here's what I want you to do. Maybe you've cut some of the sermons, some points we've made. I want you to go back through and say five things that you see in Joshua chapter 3. What do you see? Who's doing what? Who's supposed to do what? Who's said to what? Who doesn't do what? What's promised? What's asked? Who are the characters? Five things. And then what I want you to do is this. After you've identified five things, maybe after you've thought through what we've talked about together this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come up with five applications for your own life. And if five are too many, come up with three. And sometimes I do that. Sometimes I say, hey, if you're a kid in high school, here's what you can do. If you're a mom, here's what you can do. But I don't want to do that for you. I want God to do that for you. I want you and the God who loves you, who's sovereignly orchestrating your plan to get some time together and get in his word and think about what is he showing you and then spend some time thinking about what does that mean for you? Be a great thing for you to do this week. Maybe not on Mother's Day, right? Don't like be nice to your mom if you have a Mother's Day dinner, but sometime, find some time. Then next week, we're going to come back together and we're going to be in the book of Judges Some extra homework if you want to, man. You can start reading through the book of Judges. Let me just tell you something. I don't care what Netflix series you've watched or whatever. Judges is a crazy book. There are stories about people killing each other and guts spilling out and stakes and chaos. It is like Game of Thrones Bible version, right? And we're going to think about what does the book of Judges teach us? How were these people supposed to live in their land? What were they supposed to do there? And how well did they do it? And their story is our story and our story is their story because we're called to live in this land 
And we're called to live as disciples of Jesus and citizens of the kingdom of Jesus in the world in which we find ourselves. And how well are we doing it? And what are we supposed to do? And how are we supposed to do it? And that's what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And I'd love for you to be here as we're part of it. And today we're going to close by affirming the hope that we have. No matter what's swirling around you this morning or what's unknown this morning or where God's leading you or where he has you waiting, he's got you. And he's in control. And he adores you. And he's loving. And he's kind. And he's good. And he is our living hope. And we get a chance as a community to affirm those truths together now. Let's worship.